Hey athletes, this is Derek Stone with the Working Triathlete Podcast. Today we have Derek Owens, our other Working Triathlete coach with us today. And we have a special guest, Dr. Ayn Bowie, who is a doctor of physical therapy. And she'll be walking us through her background and the importance of strength and conditioning when it relates to running and endurance sports. Yeah, thanks, Derek. Uh, I am Derek Owens, the other Derek that is coaching with Working Triathlete. I'm, I'm very excited to be here today. Today, our guest is Dr. Ayn Bui. Dr. Bui is a doctor of physical therapy. She is originally from the Bay Area of California. Uh, she's studied under world-renowned exercise physiologists across the world, uh, including at UC San Diego, the Australian Institute of Sport, at Columbia University in New York City. Um, she also did work and studied in Boulder, Colorado. She's since settled back in the Bay Area where she practices, and that's where our relationship started. I started working with Dr. Bowie as a physical therapist um, about three or four months ago when I was experiencing a bone stress injury. Uh, she's also worked with my wife, uh, and yeah, she's an incredible physical therapist, has worked with athletes of all levels um, to come back from injury and also to remain strong. She's also an accomplished runner herself. She's a run coach and she's a strength and conditioning coach. So yeah, really excited to have Dr. Bowie on today. Um, so yeah, uh, Ayn, if you'd like to introduce yourself, share a little bit about, um, about you, where you grew up um, and how you got into being a physical therapist. Thank you for the introduction, Derek. I appreciate it. And thank you for having me here today. This is really exciting. Um, so a little bit about my background. I didn't originally start out with running. I, I discovered running much later in my career. I think as kind of similar to you, Derek, where you played other sports when you were younger. I was fortunate that my parents didn't really force me into one thing. So like for me, my first love was basketball. Like, if I could, that's probably what I would do. Um, and then I also loved playing tennis because my two older siblings play tennis. So I, ex I explored a lot of different things. And track and field was always in the background. So I did track and field in middle school because there were no cuts. Like, they just welcomed everybody with open arms. And <laughs> there were so many different events that you could specialize and be good at. And so I think for a lot of new athletes, I, I naturally went to the sprints because it seemed more doable. It's hard for you know a 10-year-old to kind of wrap their mind around doing a full mile. So I went to the sprints, wasn't really good at that either, but they were just so nice. Like they just kept me on the team and just gave me the time to develop my athletic skills. And then as I got older, like in high school, I did a whole season of playing tennis and um, the cross country coach came up to me one day and was like, hey, you look like a distance runner more than a tennis player. Like, will you try out for the cross country team? And so I did. And so every year it seems that my distance got longer and longer. And I think if I could choose a track and field event, I would probably pick the mile. But I just wasn't as good at the mile versus like the two mile and the 5K. So yeah, it, it kind of just went from there after that. And, you know, I think for a lot of athletes, too, you gravitate towards the event where your strengths are. And so eventually I learned to love the longer events. Yeah, I think it's natural to gravitate towards the events that you're best at because people love success. Cool. Yeah. And um, then you ended up spending some time running in college as well. Yeah. So I ended up running for UC San Diego. And so 
I, I was injured a lot in high school. And, you know, I never really went to see a physical therapist when I was younger. It was kind of just like, you know, rest and then, you know, you get a little bit better, you go back to training. And it was never like a, a gradual return to run progression. It was just like fully back in it. And so when I got to college, you know, I, I was still injured every single season. And so there was nothing to really build on. So by the time that I finished at UC San Diego, I just felt like I had a lot of unfinished business as an athlete. But interestingly as well, I think there's a misconception that your prime is, you know, in your early 20s, right? Like, I didn't really know that many post-collegiate athletes. So for me, I just, I decided to go to the marathon distance because I was like, okay, well, you know, like, I think I'm done with like the 5K and the shorter distance. Like, let's see what I can do in the longer races. Yeah, that definitely looks like the progression a lot of people take post-college. Cool. Yeah, I um, I had a completely different experience like growing up when, I mean, I also ran cross-country when I was in high school, um, also because they didn't make cuts. I mostly did it to, um, to get in shape for baseball. But yeah, I never experienced injury um, at all. And so I'm, I'm just interested, like, constantly experiencing injury, like when you were a high school and, and collegiate athlete, is that like, is that when like sparks or like, yeah, when COG started to turn for you and, and you decided that you wanted to, to be a physical therapist? Not exactly. So I was interested more in exercise physiology as an undergraduate at UC San Diego. And so that's what brought me to Australia to study at the Institute of Sport. Um, and I originally went the exercise physiology route. So most people don't know this, but I actually started a PhD program at University of Florida. And so I actually left that program early because I couldn't see my future in academia. Like I really wanted to work hands-on with athletes and you know, kind of help them regain their identity and their ability to do things that they want to do. Um, and so my journey into physical therapy started after that. I love that you mentioned the identity piece because so many athletes struggle to find you know, comfort when they do become injured. And it helps when they're working with a therapist that does understand the athlete mindset. Yeah, cool. And yeah, you talk about this, like this identity piece when it comes to like being an athlete. I'm sure that that's uh, just a really incredible part of, of being a physical therapist. Um, like people that are having to refine their identity, like outside of sport, um, while also, yeah, continuing to, to pursue goals athletically. Um, but yeah, I, um, I mean, just like thinking a little bit about your journey as a runner, um, and, and talking about you as, as an athlete, I know that you, you recently, uh, ran a sub three hour marathon, which is an awesome accomplishment, but there was uh, a little bit of a story that, that went into that, right? You've, uh, I, I've like read a little bit about, um, about your story. I listened to a podcast, talked to you about, um, just your journey to that sub three hour marathon. Um, yeah, it was a, a little non-standard. So uh, I think you were training, um, training for a marathon in Chicago to start out with, right? I was, yeah, that was, I mean, I was supposed to finish my season at Chicago marathon. Um, like that was going to be like the last hurrah of the year. And I, I had been chasing a sub three hour marathon for probably about two years. So, you know, the, the, the fitness. Yeah. Through 2020 and like all of that. Exactly. Exactly. And like, I mean, I'm not really sure why, like, 
sub three hours going under that is such a big deal, right? It, it's just the time. Yeah, it's round numbers. People people shoot for those round number goals. There's there's even research that shows that for sure. Like people are shooting for that. So, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's so interesting because it's like you kind of obsess over this one time goal, and then once you achieve that, you're like on to the next thing. Training for Chicago, like through 2020, like yeah. Yeah, it took me about two years and, you know, there was the pandemic, so there was a gap year as well. Um, but earlier in 2021, I ran Grandma's Marathon 302, so it was a little bit short off of it. And then I, I trained, I actually did a, a trail race in Iceland, so that was another 16-mile race. And then two months later, showed up at Chicago Marathon which was, you know, this was actually a very interesting race because I had just started my business run resiliently, right? It's my physical therapy practice, strength and conditioning and run coaching. And I was doing community workshops, preaching about being resilient and injury free. And then I go to Chicago Marathon. I realize everyone's tracking me. And this is what happens when you start to put yourself out there on social media, right? Like you, you ask for it. And and then that was my first DNF. Like I pulled my hamstring at Chicago Marathon at mile 14, which is something that I never really mentally prepared for. I think as an endurance athlete, while you train, you kind of go through different scenarios that you can work through. And that one I was not prepared for. Yeah. How did how did you make the decision to pull out in the middle of a race? Like I um yeah, what what did what did had you been dealing with hamstring issues like up to that point? Like, how did you know when it was too far and, and it just wasn't going to be worth finishing the race? I had felt some hamstring tightness the week going into the race. And I, I mean, maybe this is the same for triathlon as well. But I what I find is that a lot of injuries tend to creep up as you taper for your event. Um, I don't know if it's the nerves or you've you push a little bit more during practice than you actually think you are. Um, but I started to feel some hamstring tightness before that. And then the day before the race, I was doing strides and I definitely felt something pull in the back of my knee. And, you know, I think so Chicago is an interesting race as well because it was extremely warm and humid. So everyone was, was concerned about the heat and hydration and like, people were talking about exfoliating your skin the night before so that your pores can breathe during the race. Like that's how extreme it was. That's interesting. I've never heard of anyone doing that before. I'm going to dig into that. Actually, you know who I learned that from was a former professional triathlete. And then the other interesting thing I learned was um, to not put on any sunscreen. At all? No. Oh yeah. Cause it, it just like blocks all your pores, I guess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've felt that before, like putting on, putting on sunscreen. That's like a new brand that I've never used. And then like going out on, on a long ride and like feeling like I'm not sweating at all. Like all my sweat is just pooling in my, in my muscles. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a miserable feeling. Right. And I think part of it too, is it's just blocking your pores. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, we were carrying like ice packs to the start line, ice chips down our shirt. It was, it was carnage on the roads of Chicago. You know, when I made the decision, I mean, I, I started the race and, um, you know, you kind of get to different checkpoints and you're like, okay, like, oh, it's starting to hurt a little bit more. Maybe I can adjust my stride a little bit and be more mindful of my running stride. And it just didn't help. Like it was getting worse and worse. And the way that I've been trained by all of my coaches too, is you never drop out of a race. Right. Like no matter how bad it is and 
Maybe things aren't going your way, but you finish all the way through and you'll learn something from it. Um, the one exception is injury. You do not force your way through an injury, especially for a marathon. Like I would have to run another 12 miles to the finish. So for me, I struggle a lot too with my, so like for me, like, yes, there's the physical therapist side, but there's also the athlete side. So the physical therapist side says, pull out now, you know, just take a four week rehab versus like a six month rehab. But the athlete in me is like, just go to the finish, get your medal, go see all your friends. Yeah, I, um, I mean, I feel like there are those two sides, but they're sort of external for me. Um, yeah, I, I know that um, I've, I've shared a little bit with, with some folks, but I just recently like decided to DNF a race um, a weekend ago at 70.3 Oceanside. And you were the person that I was reaching out to. I reached out to, to Conrad as well. Like, what do I do? Like, please just give me the answer. And so I, I actually got to like ask someone else to give me the answer about what to do. And I just got to be the like play the athlete perspective. So I can't even imagine what it's like to have both of those perspectives inside inside one head. So, um, yeah. And like, what, what did that feel like for you to to like decide to pull out like as an athlete and as a physical therapist, like from both of those perspectives? Well, first, I felt so bad for you because I know how excited you were for that race. <laughs> And yeah, the, I've yeah. Been, yeah, I've been looking forward to it for a while, for sure. The worst part about being a physical therapist is telling somebody that they cannot run. And usually that's the case when it's related to a bone stress injury. Um, for me, it was extremely disappointing to pull out of the race. I had never not finished a race before, especially one that I was looking forward to so much. And I, I knew the fitness was there. Um, but also like, you know, and I've said this during podcasts before, but I didn't actually realize how logistically hard it is to pull out of a marathon and get back to your hotel. Because then you get on this bus and you're on it for actually like an hour and a half to two hours just routing around, like taking detours around Chicago, picking up other runners that are injured along the way. And then by the time that I get dropped off at the start... Um, that's when all the elites are coming in and finishing and I still have a space blanket around me because they were nice enough to give that to me and people are just clapping and they're like, wow, you're already done. Like this is like the top 10 women coming in. So I, I looked like I had finished a marathon, but really I had dropped out. So that was like, that was pretty demoralizing. I, I, great job and you're like no it wasn't me I honestly I wish that upon no one but I kind of just put my head down and said thank you <laughs> <laughs> I mean what would you have done what would you have done that's a difficult decision because you either have to explain yourself over and over and over again to everyone that's at the finish line or you just own it and you walk through and pretend that you finished yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that, I mean, it, it feels like, yeah, quite a, um, a just like long period of reflection when you just like get to sit on this bus and like drive through like people that are running and just seeing everybody else that's like getting to accomplish yeah. accomplish this goal that they've been working towards. But yeah, and so so then you're like you you DNF Chicago and then what happens? Like you, you obviously don't get to to accomplish that three hour marathon goal. Um, what's, what's the next step at that point? Yeah. So the next step after that, I mean, I had told my coach, um, now I didn't have like a bib going into another race. Like that was not, that was like not the priority. Um, I, I had mentioned to my coach that, you know, 
I'm interested in giving CIM, which is eight weeks later, a try. And he looks at me like I was completely nuts. And if, if an athlete or a patient had told me that, I would tell them, you know, you're completely nuts as well. So we kind of just focused on, you know, hammering the rehab. Like I couldn't, I couldn't walk. You know, I was on that architecture boat tour the next day and, you know, going down the stairs, like I felt my hamstring um, every time the boat jerked and I was standing, I was like, oh, this thing is not good. Um, and so, yeah, meanwhile, you know, I, I, I posted on Instagram, like, hey, I'm doing okay. Like I, I DNF'd and I, I was honestly initially a little bit concerned on what the feedback I would get was because I don't know, I feel like sometimes people feel like, all right, once you DNF, now it's going to get in your head and you're always going to DNF, right? And I think it's important to share with others that sometimes it's okay to DNF and there's a time and a place to do it. Um, and that it's, it's an, a learning experience. And like, yes, I am a physical therapist and I think being injury free is extremely important, but it helps me redefine what resilient actually meant. It doesn't mean that you're inhuman. It doesn't mean that you're not breakable, right? Like it happens to the best of us. We, we do the rehab, we do the work to kind of limit and decrease the risk of injury, but being resilient means, you know, you get hurt, but you know how to rebound from that and you come back a little bit stronger each time. There's certainly a difference between DNFing because you're not mentally prepared for a race or you're upset about a result or what could happen from the outcome and then DNFing because you need to protect the body. So obviously everyone needs to make that evaluation and understand the difference between the two. But yeah, if you're in this spot where you're going to go in more injured than uh, when you, when you enter the race, it's a good idea to DNF. But if you need that mental capacity to get through the race, you might just want to push through and you need to find your boundaries. Yeah. And I, I mean, just like I had to remind myself a bunch of times in the lead up to Oceanside that like this race result is not me as an athlete. It's not the, like, it is not the the ends that I've been working towards. While it feels like that's what that's what it is, like I want to continue to participate in this sport. I want to continue to race, and and in order to continue racing, I like that was a decision I needed to make. And so, um, yeah, it was definitely really tough to to decide to pull out of a race. But yeah, I had to like refocus on like this is not me as a person. It's and I am not just one race result. And so, yeah, I've got I've got other goals that I'm still working towards. So, yeah, I can totally um, hear that and relate to that. I think it's really interesting, Derek, because with your race experience, even though the outcome was not what you were hoping for, I think you picked up a couple of new milestones and achievements along the way, right? Like, I, um, I think you mentioned that you had never felt stronger or faster on the bike, and you never felt stronger and faster in the swim. And so even though you didn't get to do the running portion, it's important to realize that, you know, you can still show up and achieve X, Y, Z along the way. For sure. And I mean, it's, it's something that, that is, that I love about triathlon is that a lot of times when, when you're experiencing injury, it doesn't mean that you can't necessarily continue training uh, in, in some of the other disciplines. And so, yeah, I've been dealing with a, with a bone stress injury that is, has forced me to not run for essentially six weeks, but 
that doesn't uh, it hasn't impacted my my ability to cycle it hasn't impa- impacted my ability to swim at all and so yeah I, I ended up getting to go and and still at least race for for a period of time and that was a lot of fun um, and yeah I, I consider it a huge training session in the bank um, for for my next race coming up and I've I've since started running again um, like very small amounts at a time hoping to hoping to build build back up um, to to feeling strong again but yeah I mean uh, another milestone for me as as an athlete um, but something that that I definitely um, like feel like is it is important to have picked up is I have rarely ever been injured like really never been injured until now and um, that like is something that I, I feel very fortunate about. Um, but I have now realized the importance of doing strength work. I mean, I guess I'm just getting older and, and so I, I need to, um, like do a lot more in order to stay resilient. And so, yeah, building, um, building lots of, uh, strength and, and, um, conditioning work into my triathlon training has become a really important thing. Um, seeing you uh, as a physical therapist a couple of times and even like continuing to um to work with you once i'm healthy again is is something that i'd like to uh just like keep on my uh on my radar and and as a part of my training because yeah i i've just found that it's it's incredibly important and and it will be incredibly important for me as i as i continue forward as an athlete for sure and so um yeah work like building strength and conditioning in to, to training routines is something that I know I'm encouraging all of my athletes to do as well as, um, like seeing physical therapists when, when they are experiencing any kinds of weird, weird pain and stuff. And so, uh, yeah, that's a, uh, that's another thing that I just picked up like over the course of the last few months having been injured. It's, it's all part of the journey. And honestly, you know, I work with a lot of beginner runners as well who, you know, of course, once you feel some kind of ache or pain in the body, your natural response is to to freak out a little bit. And for me, it's like once you sign yourself up for a marathon, a triathlon, you're going to go into it getting injured. Like that's just that goes without being said. Like that's what you sign yourself up for. It's OK. It's normal. It happens to all of us. Um, the biggest the best thing that you can do is focus on what you can do rehab wise and not all of the things that you can't do. For example, maybe you can't do your long run this week. That's fine. But maybe you can get in two sessions of strength training. And honestly, like coming back from that hamstring injury, that was my, that was my approach was just focus on, focus on rehab. Like the first four days, usually it takes a couple of days to kind of figure out how severe the injury is. Right. So in the first four days, I was focusing on learning how to walk, right? Like walking normally. And like, mind you, I was still going to work and treating patients and just not trying to demonstrate any single leg deadlifts or anything like that. But I mean, I was just focusing on learning how to walk. I was trying to get my hamstring range of motion back. And what I noticed was every single day I got, you know, I got another win. Like maybe I can bend over and pick something up and it wasn't as painful. Awesome. Um, by day four, I could get myself on my bike on the trainer and I did have to adjust the seat a little bit to bike without pain, but at least that way I could get, um, I can get the range of motion. I can get the blood flow going back into my legs. And then by day five, I realized, huh, like 
I can do a lot of strength exercises in the gym as long as it wasn't isolating any hamstring um, activity. And then honestly, probably by like day eight, I was able to do a walk dog program again. So yeah, every single day I was kind of picking up small wins and adding on top of that. Um, and then the other interesting thing too was, you know, when you become your N equals one, um, you go, you get to experiment a little bit with how cons well, I would say how conservative some rehab programs that are sold out there are because everyone is so different and everyone heals so different. So like I was able to run 15 miles by, you know, the end of week two during rehab. And, you know, I think if you talk to a lot of experts, they would say that's too soon, but I actually didn't have any pain and I was hammering the rehab very strong. So the other thing that I was um, researching and playing around with as well is um, working on posture, agility, and trunk stabilization exercises. So in the past, I think traditionally people will think, okay, well, if you have like a hamstring injury, strengthen the hamstrings, strengthen the glutes. But actually it comes down to your trunk stability as well. So I was doing a lot of lateral agility exercises, um, a lot of hip strength, core strength, balance, not a lot of isolated hamstring strength. So fast forward, I, I actually was able to run CIM eight weeks, eight weeks in between off of a pulled hamstring at Chicago. I showed up at CM at the start line with zero expectations. I wasn't really able to gain that much fitness in between. It was more of maintenance work. And um, and I ended up running under three hours. So it was it was a really great day. I ended up with 258. And I Personally, I didn't, I didn't think that story was going to interest that many people, but it did. <laughs> I'm glad it did. Yeah. I mean, I think that like the, just, yeah, the opportunity to like, um, to share about your journey, like coming back from, from injury and like this, um, yeah, needing to pull out of a race like I, I think that it, it's something that a lot of people need to hear um whether they've experienced that before or um like maybe should have made a decision like that in the past and and so yeah i think it's super relatable and just like really important to share about and so yeah i appreciate you sharing um today and and with everyone else who who you've shared it with before um but yeah so now you've run a 258 like what's what's the next round number you're shooting for like what um what are your goals for for this year do you have any races on the calendar um, yeah, what are you what are you looking forward to? Well, Derek, what I can tell you is ever since I took that DNF at Chicago, all of my races have been above average. So and I so I'm I'm gonna hope the same for you that all the races on like from today and forward is gonna be awesome for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm hopeful as well. Yeah, sometimes you just Yeah, because you ran you ran a super fast you ran a super fast 10k in February. Um, like and that was the first time you'd done that in a while too, right? Yeah. And so for now, this season, I'm focusing on short races. So everything shorter than a marathon. So I've been doing 10k half marathon. Um, the next big race I have will be Berlin in the fall. So that's going to be in September. I've never ran Berlin before, but that will be a super fast race. And I actually qualified for Berlin at CIM when I ran 258 because you have to run under three hours. So I, I qualified and I signed up like the next day before the window closed. 
Um, and my, my goal will be to run um, anywhere between 250 and 255. Awesome. Yeah. Well, that's, that's super exciting. Yeah, I, um, I have an athlete that, um, that I work with that ran the Berlin Marathon probably three years ago now. It was a miserable day when she ran it, though. It was like <laughs> pouring down rain all day. Um, yeah, one of, one of those marathons. Well, that's, she, that, that's um, why we have CIM as a backup in December, just in case. Uh, yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Um, cool. Well, um, yeah, as we as we kind of like transition from, from just talking about you as an athlete to talking about you as a physical therapist um, a little bit more, I'm interested in like how your journey as a runner um, has influenced your work as a physical therapist and vice versa, like how your work as a physical therapist has has changed or impacted your um, perspective as a runner? That's a really great question. And I feel like every time I get asked this question, my thought process changes a little bit because I'm, I'm continuously learning throughout this process. So every time I've been asked on a podcast, it's, it's a slightly different answer. Um, for me, working with runners, it's honestly more of a hobby. Um, I, you know, I really enjoy the conversations that we get to have. Because I feel like, you know, endurance athletes, we're all a little bit neurotic and that's okay. It's a great thing. That's what makes us great athletes. We're, a little, we're very type A and we really look at the details and, you know, your spouse doesn't want to hear about it. Um, your parents don't want to hear about how you ran one second slower or, you know, how you're still having this pain in your hip, but your PT wants to hear about it. Right. So, and I, I genuinely enjoy having those conversations with people and, it's not just the physical therapist, like the physical therapy portion, but it's also, you know, guiding people on the right path. So what I've seen in PT practices before is you send someone away with exercises and they think they can just do all these right things and then go, go run whatever they want the next day. And then they wreck themselves again and then they're back in your office and so for me, if I can educate people on how to return to run properly, I feel like they are more successful and they can make better decisions for themselves in the future. And that, that's key is teaching them how to make good decisions for themselves. And then in terms of the strength and conditioning portion, um, you know, I strongly feel that what keeps endurance athletes out of the PT office is a good long-term plan and that's going to be lifting heavier than they they normally do it's good to look into the future sometimes it's really difficult for athletes to plan that far ahead because they want immediate results but sometimes when there is an injury you got to plan for the future take a step back you know do the rehab do the pt and uh, obviously do work that's going to be uh, prehab as well yeah, and I think for you guys as coaches, right, you, you're you more interested in the long-term development of an endurance athlete. Um, things, Great things don't happen overnight. And so for me, from like a coaching mindset, I, I view physical therapy the same way. Like things don't change overnight. Like you have to be in it for the long-term. Yeah, I think that giving athletes the opportunity to, or just reminding them to kind of like zoom out and and think about things like from that that longer term perspective and like really what they what they are working working towards achieving um, beyond beyond a particular race result um, is is definitely important. So, 
yeah, I think that's really cool. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, of course. Um, and then I think your second question was, how does how do my how does my work impact myself as a runner? Yeah. Okay. Um, I would. That's a really great question, and I would say my patients and my athletes actually motivate me the most. And one thing that I was warned about starting your own PT practice is how how busy you're going to be all the time. You're constantly working, and you're constantly taking care of others. Um, meanwhile, I have this whole other side where it's, I'm still trying to pursue my athletic goals. And what I found was actually my running got better when I started my own PT practice because I am motivated by the stories that I hear daily and what, and the, and the things that my athletes can accomplish. And I don't, maybe it's the same way for you guys. Like what, what is it like for you guys coaching athletes and how does that affect your performance? Yeah, I can, I can definitely relate. Um, I, I think that being a part of people achieving their goals is uh, just like a really special and um, yeah, incredible thing. And so I, I have definitely been motivated by uh, the athletes that I'm coaching um, to be a better coach, but yeah, also to be a better athlete. And, and I think that um, it's even more fulfilling sometimes to, um, to be a part of someone else's race result as, as it is to like be a part of your own race result. And so um, yeah, I, I completely agree. I don't know, Derek, if, if you have any um, perspective to share on that. Yeah, I think it's motivating both ways. So you look at the athletes that you coach, a lot of them, I feel like are looking for motivation. And at the end of the day, sometimes that motivation is returned to the other way. Uh, you get to see what people are doing outside of triathlon in their work lives, in their family lives, and other obligations. And it gives you the opportunity to really step back and see, okay, if they can get this done, so can I. But um, obviously, you know, I want to be a leader in the community. So my goal is to do everything I can to perform my best. So like I said, the motivation goes both ways. In many ways too, I feel like some of the conversations that I have with my athletes and my patients it's it's humbling as well because it's like man i remember being in that person's shoes and like not knowing like you know anything about taking gels or staying hydrated during races or you know anything about what you know where you're supposed to stand in the corral so i think it's it's refreshing yeah definitely it's yeah it's fun to be able to um to just like even reflect on your own race experience and and the race experience of, of athlete, athletes that I've worked with when when sharing those kinds of things because yeah it really does like give you the opportunity to think back on on um, how you learned those things uh, and like when you're sharing them with athletes too so yeah definitely think it's uh, it's really cool. So I have a question for you guys. Yeah. Um, so Derek, you're are you 29 now? 30? I'm older than that. I'm 33. You're older. You're 33. And then how about you, Derek? I'm 34. Okay, awesome. So how has how do you feel age has impacted your performance as an athlete? Hmm. So I I shared earlier that when I was younger, I liked to play sports, but I wasn't ever very very good at it. 
Um, I hit puberty super late, um, just never really knew how to move my body very well. So I ran, I ran cross country when I was in, when I was in high school and like my 5k personal best was like 2130 or something like that. And, um, so getting older and just, um, yeah, getting back into sport when I was like in my mid to late twenties, uh, it, I just came with a completely new and different perspective and something that I was going to share as well is like, I being involved in, in endurance sport just shows me that I still, as an athlete, like I can still reach, um, a, a whole new level, even in my like late thirties, early forties, even late forties, there, there are athletes that we work with at working triathlete who are incredibly fast, uh, at, at ages, like, um, even beyond 50. And so there's, um, there are just, it's, it's a really exciting thing to be, be coming back into sport late in my, when I came back in late in my twenties and like being in my early thirties and, and just acknowledging that like, there is just always still room for, for getting better, getting faster. Um, and just knowing that a lot of endurance, a lot of athletes reach their, their peak in, in endurance sport, um, later than the age that I'm at right now. Um, yeah. Being in their late thirties, early forties. So I think I can see where you're going with this and I'll share like when I was younger in my twenties running in college, when I ran shorter distances, like the mile, um, we consider that middle distance. Uh, I was, if, if I ever got hurt or, um, there was like a, a niggle, I could respond pretty quickly and be back at it the next day. Now that I'm in my thirties, uh, I have to take care of my body a lot more because uh, if I have something go wrong, I need to make sure I'm addressing it right away. Otherwise, it might become an issue. Uh, my, my buddy, who's a run coach and a, a collegiate coach out in Colorado, he always refers to the back of house, so the glutes, hamstrings, and calves as being particularly uh, injury prone for a lot of adults because we're sitting in chairs all the time, our, our hamstrings are getting shorter and things like that. But from the performance side, um, I've noticed that my ability to um, sustain like a higher level seems to be better in my 30s. Like you mentioned earlier, you said something to the line, the line like um, people think that their peak is in their mid-20s. And, and I do think that the pe- most people's peaks, is let, especially for endurance sports, is going to be in their mid-30s, maybe even closer to 40 for some people as well. And um, But yeah, so I can tell you, performance is definitely still increasing, I hope. <laughs> and uh, But the ability to recover, um, it does take a little bit more time. And the importance to address certain things, uh, like any type of onset of, of injury, needs to be addressed right away. I, I, when you said that, Derek, I, I can totally relate to, I mean, even just like from, from starting triathlon in my late twenties to now, like I remember I used to be able to start running and just like, forget about the warm up, forget about the cool down. Like I'm just doing my run. And now it, it very much takes me some time to warm up before I, before I feel like I can get going like in all three disciplines. And previously I'd like, I'd get in the pool and like swim my fastest 200, like first thing and now it like definitely takes me a a, like solid 10 minutes in the pool to even like get to um like where i'm where i'm swimming like at my best so yeah um that's something that i've that i've seen age impact as well 
Well, that's like my favorite question to ask all of my athletes and, and my clients is like, what's your background and how do you feel aging has impacted you? Because everyone's answer is so different and it affects everyone so differently as well. So for mm -hmm. me personally, I'll, I'll just share that for me with age, yes, I, I do feel like I'm starting to tap into my aerobic potential in the, the longer races, but same with you, I have to spend like 30 minutes, you know, drinking my coffee, walking around, doing like my rolling and my activation exercises. And now there's like a whole routine before I get to do the thing I enjoy to do. And then after that, there's the whole recovery session, right? Like sitting in Norma Tech boots and maybe stretching the things that need to be stretched and, and sleeping a little bit more at night um, versus like early in my 20s, I would say it wasn't recovery was not something that I had to pay attention to as much. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, to your point, um, strength training actually becomes even more important as we start to, you know, head into this into your 30s and your 40s as a master's athlete just to prevent those injuries from coming back. Um, there has been really good research for master's athletes and in the research, you know, mind you, they consider a master's athlete, anyone who's 35 and older. Oh no. So we're, we're all kind of inching towards that way. But I think in real life, it's anyone who's 40. But the three most common injuries that we see in master's athletes, at least for running, is Achilles tendinosis, calf strains, and hamstring strains. So Derek, to your, um, to your coach's point, strengthening you know, your whole posterior chain or your backside is extremely important. And like strength training, I don't mean doing just like band exercises, but actually lifting heavy. And I, and I know that's an area that a lot of endurance athletes are not comfortable. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I, I know that there is like more and more research that's showing that, um, yeah, big, um, like big powerlifting, um, I mean, yeah, deadlift, um, squats, bench press, like all of that can be, um, like just really great and, um, and important for, for athletes to do. And it can definitely build a lot of strength um, for, for the bike as well. Um, oh, yeah. but, but I mean, so when it comes to, when it comes to triathlon training, I mean, we, we, um, like at working triathlete, we're, we're supporting athletes that are balancing all kinds of things all the time. And we have, um, folks who are doing as, as little as five to six hours a week, probably, um, of, of total training volume up to like significantly more than that up into like probably 20 hours. Um, and, but like, I do think that a lot of people that are balancing so many things, demanding jobs, family responsibilities, young children, um, a lot of times the first thing that goes is like, yeah, I'm, I'm not gonna, um, have the time to, to roll out my calves after my run or, um, yeah, the drive to the gym is just, it's going to take a little bit too much time. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm just interested in, in you like sharing a little bit more about how you feel that, that strength training, um, and like recovery as well, um, can not, not just complement but complement training, but also just make you faster and more efficient as, um, as an athlete. Yeah. So working with, uh, I would say working with amateur athletes are some of my favorites, um, because honestly, I'm always impressed how they can manage work, family, and being competitive. Um, what I will always tell them is, you know, at some point, 
strength training is going to allow you or enable you to perform and train the way that you want to train. There's going to be a certain point where your body's not going to be able to tolerate five to six hours of training. So something's, something's got to give, right? Um, initially, when you start strength training, honestly, if most people just did two, two sessions a week, 20 minutes, that will still be better than nothing, right? I think a lot of people have it in their minds that strength training has to be this one-hour session, and you have to fit in like this many exercises with this much weight. But honestly, starting out, you just have to mm -hmm. start from somewhere. You know, like Rome wasn't built overnight. It takes time. So as long as you build in habits to just fit two times a week in um, and just be consistent with it, you will get results. It might not be the most optimal results, but you'll still get results and you'll still see less injuries. Um, in terms of recovery, there's mm -hmm. a there's a great book called Habits by James Clear. I don't know if you guys have read it, but one of the things that he talks about, yeah, one of the things he talks about is habit stacking. So for me personally, I when I do my mobility work, I, I kind of multitask. So if I'm working at my desk at night, maybe I'm rolling out my, my foot at the same time. Or like, for example, you know, you tie in a task of something that you do every day. So say you brush your teeth, then you're going to, you know, stretch your calves at the same time so that you always remember to do a particular task with something that you do every single day. So that's, that's another way to do it. Um, I'm also realistic with people like you don't need to sit down for an hour a night and roll out every single muscle. Um, honestly, just spread it out throughout the day when you can make it work for you. Yeah. Cool. And yeah, I love that. Just like little, little bits at a time, um, just like, and, and creating consistent habits before mm -hmm. like, yeah, taking on way too much or, or just significantly more. So yeah, like in addition to strength training, um, like if you were to say like, what, what's one thing that triathletes should spend 10 minutes on, um, like two or three times a week in order to just make them more resilient athletes? Ooh, that's a really good question. I would say thoracic spine mobility, so the mobility of your mid-back, and also hip mobility. Um, because you spend a lot of time on the bike and you're in a fixed position, and then you have to transition from being on the bike to running, it's important to maintain range of motion in those areas so that you can fully, for example, use your glutes when you run or that you can have you know good arm swing without excessive trunk rotation so that's that's the importance of having good spine mobility yeah cool um yeah, yeah and i mean just like hearing hearing you share that like um like I know that you've worked with with triathletes you've worked with lots of cyclists lots of runners like what are what are some of the like issues um injuries that seem to plague triathletes, cyclists, runners, most um, that you've seen? For I'll start with runners first. Um, so for runners, I typically see a lot of knee pain. So runner's knee, patellofemoral pain syndrome, that's, that's usually number one. Um, also a lot of calf strains, Achilles tendinosis, especially in my older athletes. In cyclists, I see a lot of labral tears in the hips. 
Um, and then for triathlete, triathletes are, you know, they're interesting because they're, they're, they're jack of all trades, right? They don't, you don't really see one injury because it could really be anything. Like it, it can be, it's a combination of cycling injuries and running injuries. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I, I do think that like there is there is something to the the sport of triathlon being just like comprised of a bunch of cross training of of, of a lot of different um, endurance sports. And so I, I while triathletes 100 percent experience injury a lot, I like the the amount of running that triathletes do is significantly less than people who um, run very seriously. The amount of cycling that they're doing is significantly less than what pure cyclists do. And so I think that there is a little bit of the the balance across three disciplines that lends itself to maybe a little bit less overuse than mm-hmm. than you might see in, in mm-hmm. someone doing the same volume of training just in one discipline. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's something that that like feels right to you. Um, no, I 100% agree. I feel like with triathletes, um, you're, I mean, you're swimming, you're running, you're biking. So it's, it's a good, it's a good balance of all three. Um, quite honestly, I would say I would, I see a lot of running related injuries for triathletes in the past, and that can be anything from a bone stress injury to a hamstring strain. I saw it. Um, your support when I was when I started dealing with this this bone stress injury, um, I it was the first time that I had ever worked with a physical therapist. It was um, yeah, it, you like I remember you saying like you really have never worked with a physical therapist, have you? Because like I had no idea what what I was doing on your table. Um, but yeah, so like I I do know that people like seek seek the the support of physical therapists when they have experienced injury. Um, but I'm, I'm interested in, in whether, um, like where you see the value in, in continuing to work with a physical therapist, um, like beyond just the, um, the, the point of, of being injured. Yeah. So honestly, the best time to see a physical therapist is when you're not injured, right? Cause then you can kind of, you know, see the areas of range of motion limitations, address it quickly. Um, identify areas of muscle imbalances and address that over time. Um, when, you know, it's for me, honestly, it's important for athletes to continue to work with a physical therapist because there's always something that you can improve on, right? So like, for example, when I work with runners and they want to improve their running form, the best time to improve your running form is when you don't have a race coming up. Because then you're always thinking about, you know, oh, like, should should my foot be striking this way or not? Should my arm be swinging this way or not? Um, so honestly, the best time to change that would be in the off season. And even with that, it's only possible to change one variable at a time. So, you know, have somebody focus on their stride length for a month and then come back. And then you pick another variable or parameter to change for their gait assessment. Um, and you, you just start building on top of that. Cool. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Like I, I don't want you like checking out my run form when I'm like 
still experiencing injury, like in the lead up to a race, just giving me way more to think about than, uh, than I want to. I mean, it's the same, the same goes for changing your position on the bike in, in the couple of weeks before a race is just a a recipe for disaster. So yeah, I hear that like during, during the off season, when you're feeling healthy, um, would, would definitely be a a great time to, to go and, um, like see Mm -hmm. a physical therapist and and figure out what imbalances you might have and and how you might Mm -hmm. be able to, to improve. Yeah. And then on top of that benefits of the off season is that's really where you can make gains in strength training. Like if you wanted to lift heavy and actually be able to lift heavy, then the off season is the best time to learn how to do that. Um, just because when you, when, you know, when you're full on training for a half Ironman and you're training, what is it? Six hours a week, maybe eight. Um, your body is just so fatigued. So even if you think that you are lifting heavy in the gym, your perceived effort is just going to be less. It's going to be different. Yeah, definitely. And I, I know that there there are athletes that I work with that that like to prioritize heavy lifting. And and during the off season, uh, a lot of times we'll we'll stack workouts a little bit differently um, when it comes to like when when they're doing their strength training. Um, mm-hmm. Because yeah, we we do like to stack their their hard cycling or hard running sessions with their heavier lifting days. But a lot of times during the season, the priority is the cycling or, or the running session. And mm-hmm. the um, it's okay if they're not necessarily going into the strength session, at, mm-hmm. like feeling, feeling full and ready to go and fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, but then during the off season, kind of flip-flopping that, making strength, strength the priority um, and, and doing that session first. Um, and yeah, coming into the gym, feeling fresh and then, um, like doing the, the bike ride or, or the run on more tired legs. Yeah. And it's interesting. Um, Derek, uh, I don't know if you had this experience running in college, but for us, I feel like I was always getting really tired in the, in the weight room in college. Like it wasn't the running. It was just, my muscles were getting so tight all the time from the strength training. Um, and it was, it was something that I had not you know, college was the first time I ever tried lifting in my life. So I'm interested in what your experience was. My dad lifted weights growing up. And uh, while he was more into building mass, I also lifted weights. So even throughout high school, I was lifting. Uh, My senior year, I had a strength and conditioning class. I wanted to take classes I knew I could do well in. So that was part of it. But um, in college, we really didn't have a program until my junior or senior year. We had a lot of turnover with coaches, but when we had some more stability, we had um, a pretty rigid program, and we'd always lift after our runs, so that way we weren't you know, going through any bad form uh, if we were tired and things like that. But it was definitely something that we had to buy into. We weren't used to it at, at first, um, being young and, uh, in our early twenties, you know, we just thought running more would be more important. Um, but yeah, that was my experience throughout high school and college. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Everyone's experience is so different. So that's why I ask taking from that experience. Now, when I program for my athletes, I try to figure out how much, you know, training load that they're doing. And then also, what what their background in strength training is so like if this person has never lifted weights before maybe body weight is where we start and then we build them to a place where they can lift heavier um and then even with that just making sure that they have good form when they lift heavy so they don't they don't injure themselves in the weight room when you when you um are like 
working with athletes on, on progressing from body weight exercises to, um, to lifting heavier weights and they don't have a whole lot of experience. Do you, do you generally like have them send you videos of them like, um, and like what their form looks like, or do you like share videos with them to, to ensure that they like have, um, at least like a good mental picture of what form should, should look like going into the gym? So to be fair, most of my clients start out as my physical therapy patients first. So I already have a good idea of what their range of motion limitations are like, and we'll at least go through like the key movements for strength training, um, but in person. And then once they go off on their own doing like the, the virtual strength and conditioning program, they'll send me videos from time to time. And then based off of those videos, I can give them feedback on how they can improve it. And sometimes, interestingly, it's not it's not their technique. It's like they have really poor ankle dorsiflexion and they can't squat well, or they have poor hip mobility and they can't do a perfect squat. And so taking all those things in consideration, like, well, one, we need to hammer the range of motion first, make sure you have good mobility before you add more weight onto the barbell. Cool. Well, I, I really appreciate um, like all of the perspective that you brought to this conversation, Dr. Bowie. Um, your your journey as an athlete, your um, your work as a physical therapist, and as a strength and conditioning and run coach um, is incredible. And yeah, Dr. Bowie's built a, a really wonderful um, like business out here in the Bay Area for all of our all of our Bay Area athletes. It's called Run Resiliently. But yeah, Dr. Bowie, do you want to do you want to share like where people can uh, can find you? Absolutely. So um, the easiest way to find me these days is on Instagram. My Instagram handle is Run Resiliently DPT. Um, you can also go to my website, Run Resiliently um, And from there, you can contact me to set up an appointment or ask me any questions about run coaching or strength and conditioning programming. Cool. And we'll, uh, and, and now there'll just like be a, a few more people that are following your, your results in, in Berlin and, and CIM and everything going forward now. So just that much more pressure or, or lack of <laughs> pressure, I guess. Right. It's, it's, um, it's the good kind of pressure though. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Great. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today. We really enjoyed the conversation. I think any listener can take away a lot from this conversation, uh, just the importance of strength and conditioning training, as well as just listening to your body and paying attention to what's going on. That way we can seek help from a professional if there is the onset of an injury. I also want to take a moment to thank our listeners for tuning into the Working Triathlete podcast. If you would leave us a review, that would be greatly appreciated. We want to reach as many Working Triathletes as possible. And for any general inquiries, you can reach us at info at workingtriathlete.com or myself at Derek at workingtriathlete.com. Yeah, you can reach me at dowens at workingtriathlete.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you soon.